All right, if you've got a Bible, Haggai in the Old Testament. If you're new to that part of the Bible, go to the book of Matthew, which is the beginning of your New Testament, about two-thirds through the entire Bible, and hang a left, and you'll go a few pages. That first book to the left is Malachi, and then there's Zechariah and Haggai. If you hit Zephaniah, you went a little too far. Haggai, chapter 1. Now, we're going to begin there and spend most of our time on the theme there, though we need to mention... Uh, several New Testament verses. But I'd like to pull your heart and your mind today into this, this evening. And that is, begin to think in terms of the Old Testament, which was a time for 4,000 years from the time they left the garden till the time of Christ, approximately 4,000 years. And so the 39 books of your Bible cover those 4,000 years. Now, the Old Testament is very interesting because the book of Genesis alone, just one of those 39 books, covers over 2,000 years of it, approximately 2,400 years. So, the other 38 books from Exodus all the way through Malachi cover about 1,600 years. But in reality, they cover less than that because there's about 400 silent years between the last writing, which is Malachi, and the first coming of Jesus Christ, which is represented by the book of Matthew, starting your New Testament. Now, I say that to say that one of the most important parts about studying our Bible and learning our Bible and applying our Bible is when we can take and make the right application the right parallel between something God was doing with His people in the Old Testament and what's going on in the New Testament. We are 2,000 years into the church age time of the New Testament. There are some things on the horizon, events. The the next great event by by size and God's description is, of course, the time of tribulation and great tribulation. Now, there's a great event if you're a believer in there, and that is the catching away of what he calls his church, his bride, in the New Testament. But that thing is is just an event in there, and it's a great event if you're a believer and you don't have to go through the doors and pangs of death. It's a great thing. But when we look at this big picture, this time period, this 2,000 years, has been about what God calls the church, what he calls his bride, about believers as a body. In the same way he dealt with Israel as a whole, individual Israelites would have to believe in God, they would have to trust God, they would have to bring their offerings to the tabernacle, and then when it was built to the temple, they would have to believe God as Abraham did, and it would be counted unto them for righteousness. They didn't understand what was going to happen and how it was going to be that the Messiah would uh, be birthed and lived and died. They did not understand that. They didn't trust God looking forward to the cross. Not even his disciples understood that till afterward. But they did put their faith in God. And then he wanted to have a relationship with them, a walk with them. He wanted to be their God and, and them be his people. 
When we come to these prophets, you have some what they call the major prophets or the prophets, and partly called that because of the amount of material that God had them leave for us. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Daniel's is not big, but his work is mighty. And then you have these minor prophets. And these minor prophets occur, for example, Haggai occurs around what we would say would be the 5th century B.C. B.C. is before Christ. Okay? And so, when you think in those terms, for example, when you go forward in time, the first century was from 1 to 99, and then boom, it was 100. So, the first century didn't start with, you know, 101, 102, those years. It was from 0 to 100. So, right now, we're living in the 20s, the 2000s, so we're in the 21st century. When you have a birthday, it marks the end of a year and the beginning of another year in your life. So when you have your first birthday, that means you are now, the next day, starting on your second year. So all these things are happening around 500 years before the time of Christ. <clears throat> Over those next 500 years, there's going to be 400 years that are silent as far as God's concerned. And during many of that, much of that time is when the Pharisees that the Lord Jesus Christ rebuked so much, when they took and developed those Many doctrines that were uh, much scripture in them, but also much self in them. Now, I'll that to say that he's talking to them then about a time that is a time of despair in a way for the Israelites. Because around 1000 BC, if you had a little piece of paper there, if you, you know, back of your Bible there tonight, you're taking notes, you uh, grab that piece of paper, and if you put a a hill with a cross on top and a cross either side. That's how I mark in my Bible a lot of times, crucifixion passages. If you put that there and you went to the left, and let's just say you went to the left about an inch, and you put temple, 1000 B.C., and then you went to the right of that and you put a, a mark at an inch, that'd be 1000 A.D., and another 2000 A.D., so you're on the right-hand side of that. So the temple was built magnificent thing, probably the one of the most magnificent structures ever built by mankind. It was built in a thousand BC, a thousand years before Christ. But to show you that God isn't all about buildings in itself before I start this message, understand that when Israel kept breaking their part of the relationship, God finally said, okay, that's enough. I'm going to show you that it's not the temple that matters, and it's not the ceremony that matters, and he he allowed the enemies of God to destroy it. And he let them. He had them go into captivity. Took them out of their blessedness. So the passage we're going to look, look at in the New Testament in particular is not about buildings as such. But it's this powerful lesson and a powerful question. So this is about 500 years before Christ. But the temple has been destroyed. And now, and, and if you'll remember, after that temple was destroyed, then came that time along with uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, and they were, they were all about trying to rebuild everything, build the walls back up, etc., etc. And when you think about those things over there in Ezra and Nehemiah, then you understand that, that God's people had to be 
encouraged and helped, but they also had to be aided to do these things. But now in Haggai, he's going to address them regarding what their priorities are, where they're at. So in Haggai chapter 1, verse 1, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, unto Zerubbabel the son of Shelatiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Josedek the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying. So your Bible is a trustworthy book. It's an accurate book. Now, it will accurately record people's sayings. That doesn't mean all their sayings are correct. So if Satan in Matthew 4 says, If thou be the Son of God, the Bible is not doubting God's veracity. The Bible's not doubting the virgin birth of Christ, the incarnation. The devil is. So it quotes people accurately. So he says, This people say. So the current generation that Haggai the prophet is speaking to, the Lord says, This people say, and he's quoting them. Now, that means God listens, doesn't it? Uh, that means God is listening in when you're talking. He doesn't just like listen in a little bit at a time. Oh, I think I heard my name down there. He listens all the time. I don't know how he does that. I have no idea, but he does. <laughs> Every idle word you speak, you'll give account thereof in the day of judgment. That's, that's amazing. So what do the people say? The time is not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. So they are excusing themselves from being concerned with the house of God. Now, the reason this is so important is this, what I'm about to say has nothing to do about buildings. In fact, some of it will, will encourage you about the fact that it's not about buildings in the New Testament. And I think it would, it would do believers very much benefit to understand what God means. So in 1 Timothy 3.16, he tells Timothy, I wrote to you about bishops and I wrote to you about deacons. And he said, the reason I've written to you is that you might know how, okay? He says, But if I tarry long, 1 Timothy 3.15, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So we know immediately, we know immediately that it's not about a building, as it was perhaps, or per se rather, in the Old Testament. We know that he says in, in uh, Hebrews 10, 21, and he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 19 and towards 21, he said, And having an high priest over the house of God. Well, who's that house? It's believers. Simon Peter writes in 1 Peter 4, 17, that judgment must begin at the house of God. Simon Peter's writing about things that are going to start happening at the, at the end of the church age. At the end of when things are coming to a, a culmination before the Lord starts dealing again with Israel and that Israel will turn their hearts to Him. Here we are in December of 2023 and everyone is deeply concerned and I totally understand about Israel going to war and defending themselves. I hear very little, if any, if any conversation about what Israel really needs and why 
they need God more than they need anything else. They don't need, they praise the Lord, bullets and, you know, praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. But I'll tell you this, part of their trouble that they're suffering is because they're on the outs with God. Now, we did not replace them. I am so weary. Someone says, are you Arminian or are you Calvinist? I'm neither one. I'm a Bible believer. They're both, one of them's in the right-hand ditch on the road, the other's in the left-hand ditch on the road, and that's where the devil wants you to be in one of those ditches or very close to them. Same thing with Israel. We don't replace them. We're humbled by the fact that we get to be grafted in. He, Romans chapter 11. But their issue is with the Lord. And the Lord's issue is with them. So Hebrews 3 tells you that Moses, chapter 3 verse 5 and 6, Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we if we hold fast, etc. Do you know that there's no way, unless you're going to throw out 1 Corinthians 15, that you're going to take Hebrews 3 and put it over to where someone's trying to earn their salvation when he talked about the gospel and he talks about if you stand fast. He's talking about the effect of the gospel and the effect of the house of God. And in 1 Peter 2.5, he said, we're built up a spiritual house okay and so that's why you find references like in colossians 4 and first corinthians 16 romans 16 about people who had church in their house so immediately people are up in arms when you start talking like this and trying to get people to focus on the on the true matter at hand and here we are towards the end of 2023 and we're getting closer than ever to the end every age goes out as it came in the church age came in with people scattered abroad, going everywhere. They were, go they were uh, doing circuit riding, meeting in houses. Some of them were meeting under trees. They were meeting all over the place. There weren't building programs. There weren't none of that going on. This age is going to go out the same way when it comes to believers. I believe with all my soul. I believe you're going to have a shortage of real Bible preaching. You might not have a shortage of people who want to have something to say or to desire to be teachers of the law, like Paul said. But you're going to have that. And then at the end of Acts chapter 28, verse 30, it says that Paul dwelt in his own hired house two years and received those people. That wasn't Paul skipping out on church. And it's not like post-COVID where people are staying home and watching it online. I understand, hey, online, that's wonderful, great. I've said this since before there was even an internet. I've said it way back when it was just TV and radio that God's people ought to be careful live broadcasting services because uh, the main purpose of a church service is for God to meet with His people. Now, if the gospel gets preached and it should and someone gets saved, praise the Lord, but it's mainly for God and His people. It's for the bridegroom and His bride-to-be. It's a family thing. It's a personal thing. You wouldn't, you wouldn't go out and broadcast a family meeting or family conversation. You shouldn't. Same thing with church. Got to be careful. Do you want to reach people? Absolutely. Will we end up posting this online? We will. But the most important thing is what we are hearing because God put us in front of it and put it in front of us. So in this church age that we live in, the house of God is people. And it's not unusual for people to meet as it did in the, in the early New Testament and as it will be as we go out in the church age to meet in a house or in a building and stuff. But you see, what has happened is 
With time, people have begun to associate ownership of a building, building of a building, outfitting a building. The building, the building, the building is the church, and it's not. Now, if you've pastored, and many of us have, as you pastor, you go, well, you know, there they go. They're meeting with a little Bible study in their home. I get that. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about some off splinter. We're not about little home groups and stuff. However, how many souls are not being reached and how many Christians are not being grounded and led and blessed and fed because people are obsessed with the building? I know, I know churches, so-called churches, that have continued for years and years and years without any touch of God on them. And they continued in name only because there was a building for someone to have control over. And so they kept meeting in the building. Now, I have a question to pose out of this passage. Let's read on now. Then came the word of the Lord, verse 3, by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled to drink. You, you clothe you, but there is no, none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. You think inflation is a new thing? You think that the devaluing of stuff is a new thing? It's not. Not in any way, shape, or form is it new. Brethren, quit acting like everything's this horrible thing and it's never been this bad. You must not have ever had to tighten your belt where you had to punch a hole in the loop to tighten it. Amen. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, verse 7, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. In other words, I blew it away. Why, saith the Lord of hosts? <clears throat> because of mine house that is waste, and you run every man unto into his own house, unto his own house. Therefore, the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. Listen, I, I, I don't know this, can't demonstrate it, not going to be able to do it with a survey, friend. But there are multitudes of believers today, even Bible believers, that don't have the dew of God on their daily life. Now, it's great to go to a meeting, and you probably may, some of you run off to a meeting here and there, and you get, you know, showers on you, but crops and people and animals live by the dew. They live by the dew. It keeps far more things alive than showers do and rains because it's daily. When you get up in the morning and go out there, I love to be outdoors or be, you know, where you can see the outdoors before the sun ever comes up even. And you look out there and you see all that glistening and you see that heavy dew. Probably not going to be any rain that day. But So God put that dew in there, that dew point, they call it, so there'd be a watering. Therefore the heaven over you, verse 10, is stayed from dew and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought, like Amos says, a drought and a famine, a famine of the word of God upon the land. Upon the mountains, upon the corn, upon the new wine, upon the oil, upon that which the ground bringeth forth, upon men and upon cattle and upon all the labor of the hands. And here's, here's our thought for today, for tonight. 
Your house or God's house? Your house or God's house? You say, what do you mean? Look at this. Verse 4. Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? You say, well, that's that silly old King James Bobby. You're sealed. Oh, really? What is it? Do you know what a house has? that makes it different than just a barn usually is a ceiling. Not just rafters overhead, but they ceiling. It's just different uh, position of the I and the E in that word. To seal something, the English definition is overlay it with timber or plastering. Now here's the picture. The picture is that Lowe's and Home Depot and the local drug, uh, hardware store are thrilled to death that their interest is in their own house their own dwelling. What do you think more about? you think more about home improvement or house of God? Now, we're not talking about a building here. We're talking about the people, the meeting of them, the house that we're to be built together, Ephesians 4 and 5, by the workmen Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the ministry of the word. They're there to build together. They're there there to do the work. So what is most on your buying and values? Timing is everything. Three points. Timing is everything. He said, is it time for you, O ye? The people said, verse 2, the time has not come. So you got these, you got people today that said, well, we're so close to the end. We just need to, you know, and let's just say you're active. You, we need to pray. We need to put out tracks. Praise God, we do. And we do. And we need to be active. But where is the house of God compared to you and your personal life and your daily schedule and all your home improvements? And all the stuff to do with food and clothing and comfort and everything else, where is it? Where is, where is the work of God, the house of God, when it comes to your finances? When it comes to your time, to your affection, to your priorities? Amen. This is not going to be profound when I say this, but now is the only time we have. You don't have tomorrow. You might end up with tomorrow, but you don't have it. You don't have it. They might put you to to bed with a shovel tomorrow. Who knows? And you could be 15 years old. You could be 85 years old. You don't know. The only time you have is now. Now, the conflict here I see about this timing is everything was God's now versus their now. Have you noticed that that really is a conflict? Someone says, well, you don't have to go to church to be spiritual. I know that. I get it. And listen, I don't know how some people get by if they're in a place where it's just totally dead. But I know this. The only way to stay alive yourself is to get it every day. Get the do of God every day. I mean, get in the book when you open your eyes. Pray. Talk to the Lord. Let Him talk to you. Seek Him throughout the day. Fulfill the Word of God. Timing's everything, and this is all you got. You say, well, we're so close to the age. Ready? Uh, Inflation. 
Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm older, I'm retired, etc. I cannot believe for five seconds that God raised up a place like the United States of America with, with which many people have. Some of us don't have what many people have. I know that. But a lot of people have, you know, accounts and equity and 401ks and all this stuff. I cannot believe God raised that up for you to spend it on yourself. I can't God believe God raised it up for people to talk. I mean, I'll be, I'm 68, be 69 in June. So I understand. I get around people like that. And all 90% of their conversations about themselves, their doctor, and their prescriptions. Well, you're all, we're all going to have them, but why would that be on our mind? Why would we be doing stuff? And, and listen, listen. What example are the people coming along behind you, the new converts, the younger people, your own children, your grandchildren? What example do they have of not living for this life, but for the house of God? I mean, when is the time for God to be preeminent? It's not in eternity. He already he will be in eternity because there's going to be no choice about it. Amen. What is my life, my time, my finances, my affections? What does it say about my house versus his house? Again, we're not talking about you giving to some building program. Not raising any money here. I'm not talking about you having to go out and buy a piece of land and put an edifice up on it and all that sort of thing. There's plenty of buildings available that people could go rent or do it, especially in, in a lot of places. But I'm saying, what is your heart on? You see, believers, they some believers are tied up with a dead, empty type of worship and a group just because they have a building and someone says, well, we can't let the building go to waste, so it's a church. It's not a church. It's not even a church house. It's a building. So when he says the house of God, and when I'm making a New Testament application, I'm talking about the work of God here. The meeting of God's people. The fellowship of God's people. The comradeship of God's people. Because secondly, the test is eminence. Eminence. E-M-M-I-E-I-N-E-N-C-E. Eminence. Like your eminent, your honor, Elevating, prioritizing the highest, that in all things, Colossians 1.18, Christ might have the preeminence. That's why in 3 John he warns them about humans, people, those who want to have the preeminence. They want to be ahead of everybody else. And he warns about it, about the atrophies. He said, I wrote unto the church. Well, he didn't write to a building. He didn't write to an incorporation. He wrote to a group of people who had banded together. I wrote unto the church, but the atrophies who loveth to have preeminence among them receiveth us not. Now that's what happens when you make an organization or a group. Now listen, Bible believers have fallen into the same thing. They've got to be careful. They've fallen into their little circles and their little associations and one person's word can disqualify another, etc., I've seen guys hurt other guys that way, and yet you shouldn't be doing that. The eminence, the preeminence, the test is eminence. What, what is before the other thing? What is before? Is anything before your stuff? Is your heart and mind on 
getting your house just right, ladies. Having the furniture you want just right. He said in Ephesians 3.21, Unto him be glory in the church by, Jesus, by Christ Jesus throughout all ages. Word, world without end. Amen. Your house. You know what your house is? It's your life. We know that. Easy application. The Lord Jesus Christ talked about building a house on sand or rock. He's talking about your life. He said you're building on rock when you hear the word of God and do it. When you get a, a group of people together, it doesn't matter if there's five or 50 and they are doing the work of God, it, they might have to, uh, they might rent a building to get into. They might meet in a tent. Who knows? But see, God's people have got to get out of this institutional thing because we're, we are getting to the end of the age. But where is God's house? Is it time for you, O oh, ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? Where does most of your time and effort thought affection go <laughs> are you going to are some of you ladies going to be like lot's wife you're going to be looking over your shoulder and turned around even when you're getting raptured out of this world thank god you won't be able to lose anything you won't be turned into a pillar of salt to be ground underfoot but are, are is that how you are is that how you are when we talk about the lord jesus christ can come tonight and you're like oh well i haven't finished they haven't finished my brand new bathroom or they haven't finished my brand new living room or they haven't they haven't finished remodeling this or that, or I haven't had my, my Christmas party. Listen to me a minute. All that God had blessed them with, they had used it, and it became a curse. He told them, verse 9, You looked for much, and lo, it came to little. If you're not careful, child of God, you're going to be swimming in the wrong direction up against God's current. Oh, we go against the current of the world, but you're swimming against God's current if your house is more important than His house. And we're not talking about a building when it comes to God's house, but most people today, listen, in the Western world, who would have thought there'd be these giant warehouses with every kind of thing you can think of for sale, every kind of gadget on the earth that you couldn't even think of, someone sits around and thinks of, to try to improve your home and furniture places and hobby places and sporting places. Oh, I'm not going to leave that out, ladies. Don't worry. You know what a duck blind is? They do a lot of duck hunting different parts of the states. You know what it is? It's a blind. It's a house. It's a killing house. It's a little house. And uh, a, a deer stand is a house. And, and a deer camp and a fish camp. Houses, houses, houses. It's every house but God's house. Well, thirdly, the temple. He told them here in Haggai was to exceed the former. Look at he, Haggai chapter 2. Turn the page there, chapter 2. Look at verse 9. Pick it up in. Uh, pick it up with me in verse uh, six. For thus saith the Lord of hosts: Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, I'm going to tell you this: it is it is it's beyond enough. It's awesome 
for God to meet with his people. And it don't matter. I've, I've, I've met with God's people and God met and everything. Now, look, they weren't all just going crazy, jumping over pews. Sometimes it was conviction. Sometimes it was quietness because of the feeling of God. But he met with us. And sometimes it was in a little old room. Sometimes it was in a little old rented room that the night before had been full of the devil's crowd and we'd clean it out and sweep it out and fumigate it and set up chairs and set up a little stand and preach the word of God and sing the hymns and God would move in. He said, I'll fill this house, verse 7, with glory. Look at verse 8. The silver's mine. The gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. What if, child of God, what if you realized that when you go down there to do whatever to your to seal your house, uh, to fancy up your garage, your workshop, etc., etc., what if you realize, uh, God, I'm I'm going to use your silver and gold for this, Lord? Verse nine: The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. In this age we live in, the blessing isn't physical. Not primarily. It isn't even financial primarily, although it takes a lot of money to put the gospel around the world. That temple was to exceed the former. How is that? <coughs> because the glory is from God's presence. You're not going to see a universal worldwide revival. Church age type revival. You're not. That's not pessimism. But then again, we've never seen that. What we've seen is local places where it was abundant number of local places during the Philadelphia church period where the gospel was being greeted. But do you understand something? That during the Philadelphia church period, no one nation ever became spiritual or even Christian. In fact, when you read the stories of them persevering and preaching the gospel in the Philadelphia church period, at every stage, there were those who were opposing them, even to the point of threatening, threatening their lives. See, it wasn't an absence. It wasn't a, a millennial inheritance. Is God's house your house? Or do you really have your house and you kind of, you know, well, Lord, I'll, I'll do you a favor and visit you. Is God's house your house? Now, now listen, I didn't tell you to go split a church at all. That's foolishness. But we are making a mistake in the Western world in particular. They're already doing it in other places. They meet in houses. They meet in sheds. They meet in places when they can. They'll rent a place. But that's not, that's not the, the main thing. is isn't to build a building. The main thing isn't to build an, an institution. It's to get people to Christ and then disciple them and then to want to reach their loved ones and their friends and to preach the Bible and teach the Bible and be faithful till Jesus comes. If they're meeting under a, 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 a roof made of palm leaves or if they're uh, in, in an igloo. The question is, your house or God's house? Where's your mind? Where's your heart? Is God's house your high, highest priority? You heard me say it. I mean this. I've said this for 50 years now. Beware of buildings. Beware of buildings. Beware of buildings. I've seen more dead Christianity that was continued, propagated, 
and guaranteed to propagate because of buildings. I have literally seen God take a handful of people who really wanted to know the Lord and He was leading them and they would go and meet in, in nothing. Meet in a storefront. Not even have to have a particular identity. Meet in a schoolroom. Meet in the back end of a library and see God really... I've seen... I've, I've preached in funeral home parlors before. Churches start there. But I'm going to tell you this. Some of the deadest places I've ever seen spiritually are places that had a building but those believers were way more concerned with their sealed houses with decorating their houses with propagating their houses with finishing their houses with renovating their houses with renovating their lives their recreational areas etc. And I just would say to you your house or God's house. Your stuff, your work, or God's work. Father, I pray you'd use this. It's so simple, Lord, I know. But every time I think of these verses, I think what that we need to make a choice in this life, Father. You want us we we're the only ones who can make the choice. You don't make it for us. You just warn us, you command us, you tell us. And I pray you'd do so in Jesus Christ's name. Amen and amen.